Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. I'm your host Mike Moynihan. This week, every week, happy to be here. Happy to be bringing you guys episode number 101. I want to thank all the guys that were part of last week's episode where we were just, you know, reminiscing, telling stories and having a good time uh, as the podcast reached 100 episodes. On to number 200, I guess. And we're going to start this batch of 100 episodes by doing something that I've wanted to do from the genesis of this entire podcast idea. And that is really deep diving into sets. I've done it on occasion, but I'm going to do a series. This will be the first week of the series that's going to really focus on the post-war 1948 to 1955 Bowman years. And we're going to look each week at one of those years. We're going to look at the set. We're going to talk about it I'm going to bring in a person who just loves that set and loves talking about it every week, a different guest to cover each of those years. And over the next six weeks, if you're not a Bowman fan, uh, you might not even care. If you're not a Bowman fan, though, I would tell you, give this a shot because you might maybe possibly feel the same way that I do. And over the last decade or so, I have really fallen in love and grown to love the Bowman sets from 48 to 55. Today, we're going to start, and this isn't going to be in order. This is going to kind of be all over the place, which will keep you on your toes a little bit and wondering each week which set we're going to do. This week, we're doing 1954 Bowman. To talk about this set with me, I brought on my good friend, Chris from Missouri. How are you doing, Chris? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. I feel like I'm two in a row i think uh i'm enjoying this you were one of the guys last week helping me celebrate 100 thank you for doing that by the way it was a total blast to see so many great collectors and uh my friend you know all of y'all are my friends too so that means a lot to me that y'all wanted to do that so thank you oh that was so much fun we could have stayed on for for a long time Chris, what I want to do first as we go through 54 Bowman, which is just a fantastic set. Um, but there are some things about 54 Bowman that I think you and I would probably change. And we'll go through that at the towards the end as well. I want to read um, basically a description of the set, kind of some things. Now, there's a great website called uh, Cardboard Connection. If you've never used it before or looked at it, it's got a lot of great write-ups and gives you a lot of information about different sets, both modern, ultra-modern, and vintage. And so I'm going to read their write-up on 54 Bowman because I think it does a good job summarizing this set. And I know when I read it, I learned a couple things. 
Hopefully you guys out there, as I read this, you might learn something too. So here we go. By 1954, the battle between Tops and Bowman for the hearts and minds and pocket change of American kids was still in full force. The collateral damage from that fight was seen in some of the cards from the 54 Bowman baseball set, as Norman, of course, goes nuts right now. Um, so hold on one second. It's okay, Julie's. Uh, that's going to be great. If only I edited things out. Uh, the collateral damage from that fight between Topps and Bowman was seen in some of the cards from the 54 Bowman set. Not only were several cards corrected for errors after being rushed so quickly into production, but one ended up being withdrawn altogether and replaced. The set contains 224 cards. However, an estimated 40 variations are said to exist bringing the total card count for the set builder, the kind of that master set builder type person to 264 cards printed and distributed in two series cards. Number one through 128 make up the first series and 129 through 224 comprise the second series. Unusual for the era, the high number series is not all that much more difficult to find than the low number series measuring two and a half by three and three quarters. 1954 Bowman baseball card fronts consist of a player portrait, though not nearly as rich in color as the company's 1953 baseball card set. A small pastel colored box in a lower corner contains the player's signature or block print for certain late series cards, while a white border surrounds the picture and box. The Bowman card backs include a bat and ball graphic. The card number is located inside the ball. The player's name is inside the bat. There's a few vital statistics. A short biography is also included on the back. There's also like a trivia question at the bottom. And there's a, you know, little box that has the 53 stats for that player. And then you have the answer to the trivia question on the bottom. We should do like a trivia. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> like try to see if we can answer some of these trivia questions. Uh, the set utilizes a unique numbering system. This is a, This I did not know a unique numbering system that rotates between all 16 teams. So each team has a consistent pattern. For instance, the Yankees are found on cards 1, 17, 33, 49. So every 16th card is a Yankee, basically. The Red Sox are next. They're card 2, 18, 34, 50, and so on. Each team has 14 cards, unless, of course, you include both number 66 cards, which makes 15 for the Red Sox. We'll get to that in a second. Because... The most valuable card in the 1954 Bowman baseball checklist is Ted Williams. However, the high values are not simply because he was one of the biggest players in the game at the time. Topps managed to sign him to an exclusive contract in 1954. So Bowman had to pull number card number 19 or card number 66 and replace him with teammate Jimmy Pearsall. This extreme scarcity results in huge values but most collectors consider the set complete with the 66 card number 66 Pearsall in place of the Williams card. Despite the loss of Ted Williams, there are several stars in the 1954 Bowman set that cannot be found in the top set of the same year, including Mickey Mantle, Bob Feller, Roy Campanella, Robin Roberts, and Pee Wee Reese. Unfortunately for the set, there are a few, very few notable rookie cards. The top options include Don Larson and Harvey Keene, which is made even more disappointing considering the rookie cards found in the 54 top set. One oddity of note is the cards of the Baltimore Orioles players. 
Their fans may either be amused or infuriated by the cards that Bowman printed. 1954 was the team's first season in Baltimore after playing as the St. Louis Browns since 1901. The move was announced and the new team name and logo had not been unveiled yet. But there were no, even though the, the logos had been, had been unveiled, I'm sorry, there were no pictures of any of the Orioles in their new uniforms. So Bowman's art department kind of did some ad libbing and, and made do with their best guesses. And it resulted in some of the pictures having the bird looking the wrong way on some of the caps. So that's a, a brief synopsis of the 54 Bowman set. Anything in there that was new news to you, Chris? I hope I'm not tested over this later. Holy cow. That was, that's quite a bit of information, but um, the fact that I did not know about the, uh, the Orioles cards like that, but I thought it, I've always, I always thought or read somewhere that all the mistakes that all the mistakes that anybody's found on those cards had been corrected, um, which I believe causes the variations to those cards. Um, but I, I believe they, I believe they felt very good about at the end, what they corrected on their mistakes. Yeah. The mistakes were usually in one of the statistics that were listed on the card. They'd have a wrong number or transpose numbers or whatever. And typically when you get them graded, they will tell you which variation it is that you have. Um, if it's one of those cards. And so for me personally, I just want one of them. I'm not trying to get both of them. I'm not that uh, bad when I'm trying to complete this Hall of Famer run for that set. What do you love, Chris, about 54 Bowman? Like what made it be the set that you wanted to talk to me about? I just, it meant a lot to me growing up. Uh, um, you know, I, the story of me is I, I was always a vintage card. Cards were given to me or I earned at a really early age uh, and lucked into I lucked into some. And one card in particular that I had that was it was my dad's favorite card. And uh, uh, I went to a show at, and when I was growing up, there wasn't very many shows at all. And and before the age of before before I went to college, I'd gone to one show in my life that I would consider a show. Uh, you know, I went to some stuff that was almost like a garage sale with two kids, two guys setting up. But this was a real live show and the floor just seemed huge to me. You know, as a kid, it seemed as big as the national. And I had, you know, I had cards and and, you know, and I wanted to go go to the show. And the show was seven miles away from the house exactly seven miles away from the house and in the big town of Sedalia, Missouri. And that I had, I mean, I, I went to this table and this guy had, this guy had some of the 54 Bowman's out. And I knew that I had one card in that set. And that card that I had was a Roy Campanella card. Now that Roy Campanella was my dad's favorite player. So I'd had that card out a lot and it was, it was worn out kind of stuff. And so when I looked, when I was looking at this dealer's table, I said, Oh dad, I have a card like that. Uh, and my dad said, and I said, it's that it's the Roy Campanella. It's the same year. And the dealer said, kid, you sure you have that card? And I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a hundred percent. 
lecture. And he said, well, if you, if you uh, take my name and number and, or, and, uh, you know, bring me the card, mail me the card, and I will give you this. And I forget exactly what he was offering me for it. And he needed to complete a set. And, uh, and he was pointing, I was pointing towards some cards and he was, and he was putting a stack of stuff together. And I said, dad, can I go, can you take me home? My dad ran me home. And, you know, I know the dealer was like, yeah, sure. This, you know, 11 or 12 year old kid has his card. So my dad ran me home. I got the card. I brought it in. And the the guy gave me uh, more than that card was worth because it was, like I said, it was kind of complete his set of the, the whole set. And uh, when I, when I, I traded that 54 Roy Campanella, but before I walked away, the guy gave me a bag of cards and that, and he said, these are, these aren't worth anything, but they were, they were cards that had been wet and dried out uh, and they just kind of stuck together in different things. Right. And they were, they were all his 54 Bowman doubles. And so I had, you know, they were in terrible condition, but I tore them apart and I, I messed with them. And so it's been that it's, I just, I love the set and I wish I had more cards in it. And that's a goal of mine this year is to get more 54 Bowmans that are, that are gradable. Fair enough. Uh, I'm lucky enough, blessed enough that I have the entire hall of fame run. Uh, by the way, there are, let me look real quick. Um, I think 24 hall of famers in 54 Bowman. I'll give you the exact number. And I think that's right, but I will double check that because this was one of the first runs I tried to do. Uh, I did 53 Bowman. They're like, ah, why not do 54? You know, this was before I launched into getting all of them for every set from the entire decade. But uh, so I, I've had a lot of these a long time. Yeah, 24 is the number of Hall of Famers. I have 23 of them. I'm missing Larry Doby is the only one I'm missing wow. for that. And you know, like it, like I said in that when I was talking through it, there are some great players in the 54 Bowman set. And we'll go through those in a second. But what is... Most striking to me about 54 Bowman is how many people it's missing. I mean, think about 54 tops. You've got Hank Aaron. There's no Bowman card in 54 for Hank Aaron, a rookie card. Al wow. Kaline, right? Um, Tommy Lasorda doesn't have a 54 Bowman. I'm thinking of other Hall of There's I'm missing True. a huge one. Uh, Ernie Banks doesn't Banks. have a 54 Bowman. So, top, so the, three, the, the four rookie cards, the three – three best rookie cards and, and Lasorda uh, are not in this set. That's what's great is, you know, 54 tops is a phenomenal set. No quite. It is from a design. I mean, they did it right. Right. Uh, 54 Bowman originally felt like, especially compared to 54 tops, less exciting, right? It's just a, it's a picture with a, a little, like it said, pastel box at the bottom with a player's signature. Here's a Nelly Fox that I'm showing right now. But look at how cool that Nelly Fox is. Like, it's it's not quite an action shot, right? It's certainly posed, but Nelly, you know, leaning over to the ball's already in his glove, and I'm sure he has a chaw in his mouth because he, oh, yep, he does. Um, <clears throat> Nelly Fox, I mean, card number one in the Bowman set is Phil Rizzuto. 
uh, which actually I didn't pull that card because mine, my 54 Bowman Phil Rizzuto was a card that my dad took to a game one time when he was working for the Rangers and got Phil Rizzuto to sign it. He went to a shop somewhere and, hey, I'm the Yankees are in town. Can you do you have any Phil Rizzuto cards? And he bought a 54 Bowman Rizzuto, got it signed. I ultimately sent it in to get it slabbed, not because I was worried about the authenticity, but just to protect it. And the card came back a three. Again, I don't didn't care about that. It's zero matter to me, but that's still in the box or still in the beast. I didn't pull it out, but um, you've got, I want to run through these a little bit because I just think they're awesome. You've got Nellie Fox is in there. Um, Richie Ashburn is a great card. Uh, and because the picture is the main focus of the 54 Bowmans, right? Uh, you've got Orestes Minoso, Mini Minoso. I got one of those getting graded right now. Do you? Yeah. I just got this one. Uh, this was one I bought in one of the collections from Chasing Cardboard. It came back a three and a half. And I'm like, that's the prettiest three. And I'm like, yep, I'll take that all day. Um, I, I can't remember what my, I got a bunch of sixes in these. But again, I, these were cards that are in very old slabs. I've had them forever. I don't know, honestly, if I cracked them and sent them in, if they would still get the same grade. Uh, Ralph Kiner was there. Then you've got uh, George Kell. I'm going to go through these quickly. Uh, I've got Hoyt Wilhelm, great relief pitcher. The Pee Wee Reese is a great card. Because again, the focus is the player, right? And I, I just, there's not, it's not busy for sure. In fact, it's an incredibly simplistic design. Enos Slaughter. This is a great card. The Eddie Matthews. It's a really nice one. Uh, here's the Willie Mays. I've got that in a four. I have that in a three. Love it. I love it when I have when we can show the same card. It's so cool. Uh, here's that Roy Campanella you were talking about. I end uh, up getting one back. Nice. We've got dueling. I got a six in that. Again, <laughs> I got a. <laughs> <laughs> no, I bought it a long again, long time ago, years ago. I got uh, a four. Yeah. Robin Roberts. And it, again, they're just gorgeous. Uh Sheen Dinst, Shane Dinst. So many people give me a hard time for uh pronouncing his name wrong. Bob Feller, again, he doesn't have a 54 tops. He's only in the Bowman. So that's the only 54 Feller. I card. love that. I love that card of him. I love yeah, that it's really fantastic then you've got you know again gil hodges has a card in there uh that's a recent uh return from a because when you know hodges and minoso and when these newer guys are getting not newer hall of famers certainly older players but these veterans committee guys then i have to go like scramble and be like oh crap i gotta start you know now there's more cards for that run that i need to get you know uh yogi berra has a really great card in the 54 Bowman. You got one of those. Nice. Early win. 300 game winner. Edwin Duke Snyder. I have one getting graded right now. Duke Snyder. Looks like you're adding to your collection of these, aren't you? Uh, I love it. The Whitey Ford is a really cool card. It's one of the few cards where he's not in a follow through pose on his card. <laughs> And then uh, the last one before we talk about the two big cards in the set is the Bob Lemon. So 
overall, does the design is it? Do you feel? Do you find that it's boring? Do you like it? Like, how do you feel about the design of the card? So, put yourself. Think about working for Bowman in 1954. Okay, this with Tops coming on. I wonder if Bowman got to see what Tops product looked like, and then and then said, "Oh no," because like you say, 54 Tops is. <clears throat> One of the prettiest cards Tops ever made, in my opinion. Yeah. And I like I like the images. I like the a lot of the portrait stuff, um, like this in those particular cards. Um, the, the when the in action stuff came along, that was really cool. But you know some of the, some of the portrait pictures you showed there are when you when you lift them up to to show them vintage baseball collectors or uh, baseball card collectors or baseball card fans of the old timers will recognize that card before you already get it up there because uh you know that's that's probably the best looking picture yogi berra ever took in his whole right. time right. right but so the design doesn't bother the, I, the the design's fine it's not oh it's not all fancy and all that kind of stuff but you know, she's not the prettiest girl at the prom, but you'd go dance with her, you know, the, right. uh, um, I, I, I like the design, but, but, uh, it's, it's simple and it's, it's simple maybe. And that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah. I mean, the campy card's a great example of a, of a real close up shot of him in, in that portrait. And, you know, you get to see the, the expression on his face and, um, he's just, Campanella is one of my favorites too. I love that you you love him too. I'm not a huge fan of the maze card. It's it's kind of boring to me. How uh, many maze cards are you a fan of though? You know, he's taking tops for sure. 51 yeah. Bowman I love. Yeah. Uh 52 tops is But he, I like the 53. Yes. But he's he's had a lot of cards that are huh. Yeah, very meh. Yeah. Versus, you know, Clemente who never had a bad card or Aaron had some boring ones, but he had a lot of good ones too. But, but again, if you were if you were working for Bowman in the front office, yep, and you know you sent somebody out to buy a pack of Tops cards in '54, right? And you opened up that card. What was what what would your thoughts have been? Um, oof, I don't know. I can't be that kid. You know, I remember seeing him for the first time however many years, you know, decades ago, really, I, 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 these have grown on me, no doubt. I don't know that I thought they were ugly. I just like, meh. And over the years, like all the Bowman sets that we'll go through over the next six weeks, seven weeks, uh, these have, I, I love these cards now. I love having them. Uh, I, I do really like the mantle. Uh, the Mickey mantle is certainly one of the two biggest cards in the set. Um, I have a three, I think. Yeah. I have a PSA three, Another two. which I think is a pretty like centering on these is always an issue. It's true on any vintage set. You know, we say that all the time. Centering, centering is a big deal. Well, it is on every vintage set. So you can rinse and repeat that phrase for all of these that we're going to talk about. But a Bowman card that's nicely centered really stands out because of that white border versus 54 tops, which is a full, you know, 
like at the top, it can kind of full bleed if it's a white one or something, you know, you can bad centering on a 54 tops. It's less distracting. A lot of I times, always, always thought I had an off centered 54 tops because I thought, man, mine's why is all my cards missing the top border? You right. Know? And I've, I've had a couple Ernie Banks cards in my life and, and it seems those are almost cut off uh, the yep. ones I have had. Mm. Yeah, but the the Bowmans mm. are nice. The backs are really clean, simple. Um, the the Mantle cards just great. Super expensive, by the way. This is one of Mantle's cards that is kind of shot up in value. I think all of his Bowman cards, <clears throat> which was really he had a Bowman card every year, right? He was because he was a Bowman exclusive from fifty uh, four or in fifty four and fifty five, right? That is correct. He didn't have a tops card, but the main like holy grail card of this set if someone said i want the best card in this set it is undoubtedly number 66 the ted williams right and you have a beautiful psa3 i have an sgc one and a half no i didn't miss say that i do have an sgc card uh you heard me say that right i want to tell the story about this card because <clears throat> it's a good story you want to hear a story, Chris? I would love to hear the story. Okay. So this card I bought at a Dallas show, uh, I want to say a year and a half ago or so. So it was probably early 2022, maybe late 2021. And uh, Dallas show, guy that sets up at every Dallas show, he owns a shop up in Moore, Oklahoma. His name is Mike and his shop is called mm7 sports cards he's a big mickey mantle guy huge vintage guy like an amazing collection and he had this card at his booth that day and i have bought many 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 cards from him including my 51 bowman mantle psa5 i bought from him and so we've done a lot of deals he is incredibly generous to me in terms of pricing and this is a card that i've always wanted and and if you're a vintage guy, you know the story of this card, why it's not in, you know, why it's short printed. I, I think you and I both agreed when we were talking previously that this, I don't know that this is a scarce card. You can find them, right? But it's definitely not as, as prevalent as the, you know, any other card, the mantle, the whoever else. Uh, but definitely harder to find. And because it was pulled because he didn't have a contract with Bowman. And so I saw this card. I'm like, good grief. Why is that a one and a half? You know, and any card that you have to really tilt and look at and whatever to find the imperfections is probably a pretty good card, right? The whole arm's length test. Does it look good sure. from that direction? Yes. I mean, if you look at mine, I mean, that's pretty great centering. That's pretty. That is pretty. It's a lot better centered than mine. Pretty phenomenal coloring. And so what he told me is, hey, hey, pull it up, like look at it really hard because on the top, it was almost like somebody put a paper clip on the card. There's those, uh, an indention line down the top. And again, hardly noticeable. You have to try to find it. And he had it, but it, it's still a 1.5. And so what's great is when you can find cards like this that are beautiful other than you know, a slight imperfection that doesn't take away from the card. 
and you can get it for a cheap, cheap price. And I, this card's not cheap, even in a 1.5, even in an SGC slab. I want to say I paid, I could look it up. I can't remember. I'm going to guess $900, eight to $900. Um, which when I looked up comps at the time when I was buying, I was like, yeah, that's a good deal. Uh, this card regularly in, in any higher grade is well over $1,000 for this card. Higher grades go for big bucks uh, just because, A, it's Ted Williams. And I don't know. this the, All the color scheme of this card is so awesome. I love it. The pink box. I love his signature. It's so beautiful on it. I love the sky behind him. If you're listening to this on podcast, I know even though I'm showing the card on YouTube, you can see that card. Everybody knows what it looks like because it's just such an iconic card in the hobby. And uh, yeah, so that's that's my, I, I couldn't buy it fast enough. And I didn't care that it was an SGC slide. I just wanted to own this card. And uh, I was able to find a deal that made sense for me. How did you acquire yours? <laughs> so if you notice on the, let me see, uh, on the tops of these, these two particular cards right here, the two toughest ones, the Mantle and the Maze. Mantle I, and the Williams, you mean? I mean the Mantle and the Williams, I'm sorry. That I I marked them with a yellow happy face thing on the top of my slab, little sticker on the top of my slab, and, and, I, and I try to keep that there to remember that I, I got these cards when I was 11 or 12 years old mowing a yard from a, from a lady named Miss Dufresne. Miss Dufresne, I've told the story on my own channel, that she she paid me in baseball cards to mow her yard because she thought she was doing me a huge favor. So most of the summer, I'd get done mowing her little tiny yard. She'd get me a glass of lemonade, and I'd go in, and she would say, reach in and grab a stack of cards from her son's collection. Her son had grown up and moved away, and I just reached in and grabbed these. And so now, when I get them out, I think of Miss Dufresne, and I think of I think of uh, how lucky I was to be able to mow her yard for six dollars instead of her giving me the six dollars. I ended up with cards like this. And uh, I so, just, why do you why did you end up? You ultimately slabbed yours as well. Why did you do that? Uh, when I was just a few years ago. Um, I was doing some estate planning and I, I don't have as many cards as you do, but I mean, I have you know, a few thousand, or I have a few thousand cards that I knew were worth some money. Okay. And I wanted to make it easier for my wife or my family to be able to do something with the cards. If something happened to me, uh, that way she wouldn't, uh, somebody wouldn't come in. There is a, there's a grade on there. You know, so that's going to help her, you know, be able to sell those. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully I outlive her uh, by 25 years and and spend all the inheritance on uh, baseball cards <laughs> myself. But but no, you just I think I just didn't want to strap her with that kind of stuff. You see that in what you do. Somebody has a big collection of stuff. They pass away and now they leave the family to you know, to, to work through those cards. So that's, and my local card shop owner, he said, you need to send them off. You need to send these things off. 
to get graded as well. And so the first time I sent cards off, I sent maybe 20 commons off because I didn't trust the system. <laughs> and uh, then then I got them graded. And I'm, I'm so glad I did. Uh, you're one and a half to me. That's that's just a that's a number that I look at last when I'm looking at that card. I'm you know, I don't want to get caught. You know, collecting the slab or the grade. I want to still collect the cards, but I want to slab them up to protect them. Um, did you do? Is that similar to what you did? Why did you? Who talked you into slabbing your cards and why? Oh man, uh, <clears throat> mainly for protection. Certainly, of my personal stuff that I knew was real or didn't have any. You know, that I've owned for thirty years, forty years it was never a problem about that. It was protection. And when I started buying cards, it was more for wanting to buy a real card and not getting duped because like all of us, when we start in vintage, I, I was no vintage expert at the very beginning. And I was afraid that, man, as I start buying some of these higher dollar cards, I really want at least another opinion that the card is authentic. The numerical grade was not unimportant to me, uh, I wanted a nice looking card. Nice looking cards typically have, you know, fours, five, sixes, you know, in that range for vintage cards. And so it, because I wanted a nice card, I gravitated towards those higher grades. I didn't need eights, you know, and stuff, sevens and eights on a lot of this stuff. But if I found a seven or an eight that I could afford, and again, this is years ago during the building process of a collection, wish people would just really internalize that I've done even full episodes on collecting being a marathon and not a sprint. And just the fact that it takes a lot of time to get there and have a collection. And, you know, Dr. Beckett telling me you need to build the best collection that you can. You don't need mm -hmm. to have the highest grade. You don't need to have the, this or the, that build the best collection. And that just has always stuck with me as a incredibly wise way to look at it and luckily i felt like i was doing that already so it was more reinforcement for me of what i was doing um the fact that i bought the williams in an sgc was the same rationale that a lot of us go through when we're deciding a card to buy as well a psa version of that's x dollars more do i really care about the slab it's in i do but at the same time i'd rather have the card period than the rights the card in the right slab i'd rather have the card at the right price at the right eye appeal all of those things trumped which slab it was in for a, especially for a special card like that if it's a richie ashburn that you know there's not much difference in a psa or an sgc or a, any other grading company then i'm gonna you know if i have to spend ten dollars more to get the psa one i'm gonna do that that is not true for for the ted williams card uh the mantle and again the mantle i bought 10 12 years ago so it's you know it was a different world then you know cards were still expensive but it's not the same and and especially the low end like this is a three back then that was way way cheaper uh it still is but it was even more dramatically cheaper back in those days so uh wow we really got off tangent on the 54 bowman and how great it is but uh I wish it had the rookies, you know, if I could go back and in time and be sitting at the Bowman, you know, decision table when they're deciding on this set and who to put in it and all that. Uh, those key rookies are, are missing. I don't think that diminishes from the 
place that 54 Bowman holds in the hobby. I think it's a very well-liked set and I hope more people appreciate it over time. Uh, any other thoughts that you want to talk about the 54 Bowman? I just, uh, back to the Ted Williams, just a little bit. Um, yeah. when I was, when I was growing up and, you know, getting, uh, getting a price guide and stuff and hearing, reading stories, I remember coming across a story and, and you, you talked about it early, but how scarce the Ted Williams was. And back in the day, you know, they compared, they, they compared it to being just barely um, one of the hardest ones to get outside the Honus Wagner and the uh, Nat Lazarus. Yeah. And, uh, and the Eddie Plank T two Oh six Eddie Plank. And they, they, you know, they, since they, since they pulled that card, you know, I was, I was told by a lot of different things, uh, different publications, how scarce that card was. And it was, you know, it was, you know, the, the, back in the day also error cards were probably worth more than what they put more value on them as what they do today. And that was always, that was always like the number one and then number one or number two that they talked about on the countdown. And so, it, I mean, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm able to afford that Ted Williams or, you know, I didn't really, I didn't pay for it, but I'm, but you know, it's not near as scarce for somebody to get today. I think you could pick one up at the national pretty easy. Uh, it's going to cost you some money, but just like you say, you have, you had over 20 uh, hall of famers. Wouldn't you rather have your 20 cards as a collector 20 of those different cards than one super nice Mickey Mantle in a seven or an eight. And I, I think the answer is yes. If you're a collector, hundred percent, you know, and 100%. Yeah. So, and there are people out there that think, no, I'd rather have the nice mantle. Uh, I don't understand it, but they'd also don't understand why I feel the way I feel and, and that's okay. Uh, but I definitely would rather have, I want, I've always said, I want a quant, a quantity of quality and not the best cards, the high, people say this all the time. Cause I, I just recently went over 3000 hall of fame autographs in my collection. Wow. Why do I need 3000? The answer is I don't. And people say, well, why don't you sell off all your doubles and triple? I have players that I have, you know, 40 autographs of that are in the hall of fame. Why not sell 39 of them and and buy a, a super nice card? And the answer is because I like all of them. <laughs> I didn't buy them just because, you know, I bought them because they fit a project or I like the way they looked or I like the player or they were cheap. I mean, pick your reason. There's a lot of them for me. Uh, and so I'm just not a I'm not a guy that thinks that way. I don't even consider selling off these all these cards and buying a nice mantle like that wouldn't even enter my mind i i agree 100 100 but you don't have a lot of duplicates in in your regular cards uh in your in your slabbed cards am i correct by saying zero well not zero i have one uh 60 tops cars trimsky but that's because that was the first vintage card i ever bought it came back a three it's a very special card to me and then i bought a six just to have a nicer example of my collection, but, uh, yeah, rarely, 
So I don't, I don't have five Ted Williams or three mazes or whatever. They're just, I have one and the one I get and well, why don't you upgrade? Why don't you sell it? And you know, wouldn't you? And the answer is no, I've got the Ted Williams. I'm never going to look for this card again. I don't need to, I already have it. I'd rather spend that money on cards. I don't yet have. And I, I do have some duplicates, but what I'm doing is I'm going through my boxes uh, systematically of non-graded cards and I'm getting them graded. Um, and I set up at shows uh, some, not a whole lot, uh, uh, maybe four or five times, six times a year, but I set up at shows and I use the proceeds that I make at the shows to buy a graded card that I don't have. Right. Uh, somebody that, and that's what I do. So I, you know, uh, and I, you're the, you know, I've been, you've been the, you were the first person I watched ever on YouTube, you and Ray from Philly. And I've, you know, I've followed your lead on, on that, uh, as far as uh, getting a quantity of, of quality and, uh, and I'm so glad I did. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I followed that. Yeah, it's just, again, you don't have to. You guys do whatever out there If as you're a collector. Do whatever you want, but um, it just made sense to me, and I'm glad that's an – I hear that from a lot of people, honestly, Chris, and I appreciate that you feel that way. Again, I'm not asking people to do what I do just because I know it all. I certainly don't, but uh, this is just how I chose to do it, and it makes, makes sense to me. So, um, yeah, it's a – I don't know. Would you say this set is underappreciated today uh, or fairly appreciated or not, or overappreciated? Where would you say it fits in the psyche of the hobby? I think, I think it's underappreciated. Uh, I do think it's a little underappreciated because again, it's a 1954 card and it just so happens to be the same year of the best set or the, what a lot of people say are the best one of three, the top three sets of tops. And it did miss out on, it did miss out on the rookie hall of famers. Uh, and so, but I, I do think that, that people are appreciating or the hall of famers more. Um, and with the low number of cards there are in the set, uh, set collectors and set builders um, are, are learning to go after this, these cards more. Because what's so, there 224 car. I mean, that's nothing yeah. relatively speaking. Uh, yeah. I wish I had dupes of all my cards and that I could sell. That'd be great. So I envy you for having that chance to be able to do that. And it, again, you're using that to fund additional purchases into your collection uh, I think that's smart thing to do. If, again, if I had doubles, I'd be selling them too to get other stuff. Uh, but I, yeah, I get it. Um, what am I? Thinking? I don't think I don't th on this fifty-four set. One of the things that you were talking about is is would you change anything to it? Yeah. To the card itself, and the thing that I don't that I would change, but but I. But I'm going to change my mind. But the thing that I don't particularly care about is the 
there's there's a signature at the bottom of these cards. It's inside that little pastel box that you're talking about. And that box doesn't go all the way across the bottom of the card. Ah, yeah. And if it and if you look, there's just dead space there. And so, you know, my thoughts originally was, oh, maybe they should have put a another picture down there or a little baseball glove that said what position they played or something like that. But then as you think about it, that changes the card to make it look like it's another card. And so one of the things I appreciate about this set is I don't think I would change this thing because that makes it unique to me. Um, you know, the white borders around there, that's not unique. The portraits and the staged photos, that's not new unique, but that on the bottom is pretty unique. And I think I would, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want it to change. If anything, I agree. Maybe you just extend the pastel box all the way across the bottom, but um, I, all right, here's what we're going to, we're going to have a little fun. I'm going to ask you some trivia questions from the back of the 54 Bowman's. Oh no. Okay. For those guys, for you guys out there, if you're an old school person like me or Chris, we read the back of our baseball cards. Like it was a, it was a learning tool for us, not uh, just something to be put on the back of a card. But, but right never, on 45 years ago for me though. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while, honestly, for me as well. So I certainly don't know any of these answers. Here we go. This is the back of the mantle card. This is the trivia question. I'll only ask you three or four and then we'll wrap this up. But what modern American leaguer is first to have a batting average over 400 in a decade? Ted Williams, right? That's right. 1941, 406. So that's on the back of the mantle card. That's pretty cool. And did not win the MVP. I know. Joe DiMaggio won. Right. He, He also did something pretty special that year, too. So. He did. 41 is a pretty great year. Uh, Okay, the back of the Ted Williams card. What, or sorry, not what, who led Major League record for bases on balls for six consecutive years? It's probably Ted Williams. It is Ted Williams. Ted Williams is the answer to his trivia question on his own (laughs) card, which is, oh, by the way, he's two for two. I wonder if they're all honest. I haven't looked at that, I promise you. Uh, okay, this is Nellie Fox's. What player threw a baseball the fastest? Uh, Bob Feller at that time. Yeah. Or, or um, Bob Feller, who there was a Kovaleski threw it really hard back in the day, but I think Bob, they're going to go with Bob Feller probably. The answer on the card is Mark Koenig for the Yankees threw a ball 127 miles an hour in 1930. I call BS on that. <laughs> I don't think that would probably – who could throw a ball 127? I don't think they uh, they really kind of knew that back then. All right, here we go. Uh, this is the back of Minnie Minosa's card. Who holds the National League record for bases-loaded circuit drives, meaning uh, the National League record for Grand Slams, basically? They called them bases loaded circuit drives. How cool. Wow. Okay. Well, the American League had to be Lou Gehrig, right? It was. Yep. At the time. So National League, and this is 54. Yep. Oh, gosh. I'm uh, uh, Melot. It was Rogers Hornsby. 
Wow. Okay. He had 12 grand slams. Did you know that before you read that? I did not. <laughs> I did not. I'm going to admit it. Uh, okay. All the Joe, all the, all the DiMaggio brothers have the same middle name. Vince, Dom, and Joe. What's their middle name? Lawrence. I'm guessing. Paul is their middle name. I did not know that either. I'm learning. See, hopefully you guys out there are learning something too. We'll do two more and then we'll be okay. we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, I'm looking for good ones too. I'm not just throwing them out there. That's an umpire question. Nobody's going to know that. Cal Hubbard. <laughs> that would be the that would be a good answer to any uh, question. Yeah, there's a, another umpire question. They must have been really struggling here. Uh, okay, this is the back of Eddie Matthews card, card number sixty four. Who made eight doubles in three consecutive games, establishing a major league record? So over three games, he had eight doubles. So back in the day, who hit a lot of doubles like Rogers Hornsby did, George Sisler? Yeah. It's uh, actually, God. Red Sheendinst in 1949. Wow. All right. I'm going to two more because I'm going to do the Mays and I'm going to do the Campanella. I keep saying two more, but this is really two more. Okay. It would be more impressive if, if I'd get the next two correct. I will be. And one of the answers that you just gave is the answer to this question Who yeah. holds the American League record? For the most base hits in one season. George Sisler with like 240. Two, uh, 257. Is in 1920, George Sisler. Who broke okay. that record? Do you know who broke his record? Uh, did Ichiro break he it? He did. Ichiro broke that. That's a pretty cool thing. Um, all right. This is the back of Roy Campanella's card. What player... Never hit into a double play in 154 games in 1935. You will never, ever get this. I could give you 4,000 guesses. It's a guy named Augie Gallen. Wow. How about that? 154 games. He never hit into a double play. That's pretty good. That's amazing. And we'll end with that on the trivia, but that's kind of fun, right? Like we, people don't pay attention to the back of the cards anymore. And uh, just go go read through your 54 Bowmans, whatever you have. I think you'd, you'll have a good time and be entertained. So any final thoughts, Chris, before we go? No, I appreciate you having me on. This is, like I say, my – just I love this set. It's a lot of history to me personally. And I hope whoever's watching this can gain some appreciation from, from this Bowman set and then – from the Bowman sets you have coming up. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my cards, my Bowman cards from each set out uh, as you, uh, as you have your guests on and, and follow along with you. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys to be a part of this series with us and, and all the different people that I'm going to have on talking about these sets. I'm really excited. I've got the next two lined up. I'm not going to give you any hints. You'll just have to show up for those. They're already, uh, scheduled to be recorded. So I'm looking forward to it as much. I'm, I've learned a lot through this process. I'm excited about the next few weeks to learn more about each of these sets. So thank you, Chris, for joining this week. And thank you to everybody out there for watching. Thank you for listening, supporting the, the podcast. Really appreciate it. If you want to reach out to me, you can on Instagram, 
My Instagram handle is Baseball Collector Mike. If you want to catch more of Chris, he has a great YouTube channel called Chris from Missouri. It's incredibly simple. Go find him. Go watch him. Like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. We'll catch you guys soon. Keep collecting.